Chapter Three of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Three. I have often thought that if, on the day of judgment, room could be found in heaven for only one person from this earth, Ma Creel would be that person. I am not alone in that opinion. Most of those who know Ma Creel share it. Among them, or rather in the forefront of them, Molly Adams, whom Ma Creel has raised. Molly's father was Hugh Adams, perhaps the greatest acrobat of his generation, and her mother was Ma Creel's sister. And when her father lost his life through the snapping of a guy wire, and her mother died of shock two days later, why, of course, Ma Creel took her. And whether through Ma Creel's influence, or her own disposition, or both, she grew up to be the sweetest, cleverest, and most tormenting girl that I have ever known. Of course she had gone into the movies as soon as she could walk almost, and the principal trial of my life was the fact that she was away so much on other locations, and recently she had been doing some work for the Apex. I may as well state here that I am in love with Molly, and have been ever since she was a kid. In fact, she isn't much more than a kid even yet just at the dangerous age when she might lose her head over some handsome scoundrel. Consequently, when Creel told me to pack my bag for Egypt, I did not respond with any great enthusiasm, not knowing what his arrangements as to his family were. The state of my affections was, of course, no secret, and Creel smiled dryly as he looked at me. "'You don't seem to be overjoyed,' he said. "'It is a great chance, but if you don't want to go—' "'Is Molly going?' I blurted out. "'Yes, Molly's going, but if you'd rather stay here—' "'Oh, shut up,' I said. "'You know what I mean.' "'Yes,' said Creel. "'I do. "'And all I've got to say is this. "'If you can't finish your job with two long sea voyages "'and two or three weeks in the desert, "'I'm going to give you the boot myself "'if Molly hasn't the heart to when we get back.' "'All right,' I said. "'I agree to that.' "'And I did my work that afternoon with the blood singing in my ears.' Yes, if I couldn't bring Molly to terms on a trip like that, I might as well quit. Up to the present, I really hadn't had a fair chance. She was away so much that there hadn't been time for a decisive action. Just when I had my artillery preparation complete and was ready to rush in my infantry, she would whisk away to the other side of the country. At that time, she was working with a company down in Florida, and I hadn't seen her for a month. I kept up a daily bombardment of clippings and bonbons and such things, but the only reply I drew was a very occasional postcard telling of the ripping time she was having, or a photograph showing her in the midst of a bunch of obviously enslaved mutts who were looking at her in a way that made me want to smash the lot of them. And when I found out that our male lead was to be Jimmy Allen, and that Creel and old Digby were the only other men in the party except myself, I felt better than ever. Jimmy Allen was a square fellow, and he wouldn't flirt with Molly because he knew how I felt about her. Probably he wouldn't have flirted with her anyway, for he never seemed to have any real affinity for women. He was a splendid actor, and his love scenes certainly looked the real thing, but I happened to know that more than one leading lady who had tried to continue them off stage had been turned down. Not harshly, of course. Jimmy couldn't be harsh with anyone. But he just hadn't seemed to understand. For one party not to seem to understand, when the other party knows all the time that he does understand, is deadly in a case like that. Jimmy was cursed with the fatal gift of beauty. It was that which, in the beginning, had caused him to be singled out from the extras. He had dark, mysterious eyes and crinkly black hair that waved just enough and not too much, 
and a dusky, lustrous sort of skin that the camera somehow made the most of. There was something about him that always struck me as Oriental, though the only Orientals I knew were Jews, and old Omar, whom I had recently discovered, and he wasn't in the least like them, and I also knew his father and mother, an unassuming Irish couple living in Jersey City, where his father was sergeant of police, so there couldn't really have been anything Oriental about him. It was just chance which had given him that appearance. At least I thought so then. I know better now. Well, his good looks had brought him many a punching as a boy, which left his black eyes blacker than ever, and his shapely nose dripping gore, and no doubt he had cursed them often enough, but they had proved a blessing in the end. In the first place they had caused him to be singled out from the crowd of boys loafing around the gate at the Pathé studio when a bellboy had been wanted in a hurry. Other small parts had followed. He had worked hard, as he had matured, and when it was finally discovered that he could act as well as look soulful, and that the public liked him, there wasn't any limit to his future. I'm bound to say that Jimmy wasn't spoiled by it. He still lived at home, and brought his mother over occasionally to see Ma Creel, and kept on fighting off the ladies. There was really something lacking in him where women were concerned. It wasn't that he didn't like them. He did, in a way. Liked to have them around, liked to josh them, liked to put an arm about them sometimes. But beyond that he wasn't interested. Funny thing, too, the quickest and surest way to make him mad was to intimate any resemblance to Galahad. If I hadn't known better, I've said that there was a great love in his life, which left no room for any small ones. But that was nonsense. I had known him since he was a boy. I had even helped punch those black eyes of his, and there had never been the suspicion of a girl. Since we came back from Egypt, I have thought it over a good deal, and I think that now I understand. We finished the picture we were on and I had a chance to loaf a little, and go around and see what the other fellows were doing, while Creel got things into shape for his great film. He was a busy man those days. In the first place he had to get his idea sketched out, so that he could tell what would be needed in the way of props and backgrounds and locations, but he kept mighty quiet about it for fear some inkling of it would leak out, and some other producer would beat him to it with a cheap production that would ruin his. I don't believe he ever showed that clipping to anyone but the old man, till we were well on our way to Egypt. I know he didn't show it to me till long afterwards, and I hadn't the slightest idea what the film was to be about. If there had been any way for him to suppress Henley's poems and destroy all existing copies, he'd have done it without the slightest compunction. Then, after he had decided what locations he needed, he had to find them, and he studied photographs and talked to the experts up at the Metropolitan Art Museum till he knew Egypt pretty well from one end to the other. I gathered that what he was looking for was some imposing place at the edge of the desert, which had not been fully excavated, and where he could set his gangs at work, and from this I inferred that Jimmy Allen was to play the part of an explorer, digging into the old tombs, and, of course, making all sorts of startling discoveries. When I think of the discoveries we really made, and at about this stage Creel struck a snag which nearly upset the whole plan for he discovered that it was exceedingly doubtful if he could get into Egypt at all. What with threats of a Turkish attack on the Suez Canal, and her desire to keep secret her own preparations to meet it, England wasn't exactly welcoming any visitors to Egypt just then. Moreover, the United States government, while stoutly maintaining the right of its citizens to go anywhere they wanted to, was declining to issue passports to anybody who wouldn't show a good and sufficient reason for going and without passports it was impossible to get on a ship, to say nothing of getting off again. In the beginning Creel's application came back with the intimation that it would be perhaps as well for him to confine his activities to America for the present, 
and his subsequent protestations as to the immense service he was planning for the cause of art were received coldly not to say sceptically finally he gathered together our photographs and pedigrees and birth certificates and departed grimly for washington he was gone three or four days and when he came back he had not only the passports but a letter from the british ambassador recommending him to the good graces of the authorities in egypt how he got it i don't know he has always refused to tell me perhaps it is a secret which must wait till the war is over then just as everything seemed serene again he struck another snag the old man called him into the office one day and told him he couldn't get felice tabor she positively refuses to go abroad he explained she's afraid she'll be submarined besides i think she's got a new affair on did you offer her enough creel asked i offered her ten thousand and expenses said the old man don't you think that was enough yes i do said creel if she doesn't want to go that settles it i guess he added gloomily however i'll have a talk with her he did but felice remained obdurate in spite of the fascinating picture he painted of the great opportunity it would be for her of his assurance that there was not the slightest danger and of many other things explained with the fluency of which only creel was capable she refused to go it wasn't often creel acknowledged himself beaten but he was beaten then and he admitted it that evening he said afterward that it was fate and i am inclined to agree with him i've got to get somebody else he said and mighty quick too we're going to sail a week from tomorrow there's lots of actresses i pointed out too many in fact it's not only an actress i want said creel it's a type i want a woman a beautiful woman with dark hair and eyes and skin and the look of the orient about her i want her to suggest the mysterious east by the way she moves i want her to suggest the harem by the way she looks at you i want her to have this sensuous oriental atmosphere jimmy allen has it though with him it's only skin deep and lord alone knows where he got even that but that's the reason i'm taking him now if i can just get the right type of woman who also knows how to act to work opposite him i'll put over the greatest picture that was ever thrown on the screen i named two or three women who had some reputation and who i thought might perhaps fill the specifications but he shook his head at all of them they're all hackneyed and stilted he objected they've all got to be taught to get certain effects in certain ways so has felice tabor for that matter but she has intelligence and if i could have gotten her out there in the desert where she couldn't run away i'd have whipped her into shape these other women haven't even intelligence they'd behave on the nile just as they do at rector's besides the public is tired of their tricks he sat for some minutes running his fingers through his hair and i knew what he was thinking if he could only discover an unknown a great unknown and introduce her through the medium of a great picture that would be a double triumph at last he jumped up shaking his head let's forget our troubles by looking at other people's he said and we spent the rest of the evening in and out of the picture houses along broadway the pictures we saw were of course the very cream of the week's releases otherwise they wouldn't have been on broadway but we grew more and more depressed as we went from one to another one had been adapted from a comic opera one from a play and three from books they were well staged and well acted the photography and lighting were excellent the direction in many instances artistic and subtle but their plots in so far as they could be said to possess plots at all were puerile in the play the puerility had been disguised by brilliant dialogue and in the books by clever characterization but stripped of words and set naked on the screen they were enough to make the angels weep creel's face was grim as we came out of the last show there you are billy he said 
you see the depths to which the motion-picture business has fallen not having any ideas of its own it tries to get them from plays and novels but plays don't make good features because they haven't got plot enough and have to be padded out of all resemblance to themselves most novels don't because they have too much plot and the audience gets lost trying to follow it some of the companies are putting out original stuff i said original echoed creel no one might have called it that as a matter of fact most producers don't want new stuff they're afraid of it what they want is the old stuff warmed over yes that is true i agreed and it is indeed this story proves it at creel's expense and when they try to write new stuff well do you ever read the summaries at the back of the world or the news sometimes i admitted and you call them original i had to confess that most of them reminded me of the literary exercises at a country school that's just it said creel and that's the sort of stuff i have to produce oh my god you won't have to this time i pointed out no he agreed but his face didn't light up the way i thought it would no he stood for a moment looking glumly up and down the street and then he bade me good night and plunged into the subway end of chapter 3